want to take your Bibles, we're going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, I have a favor to ask. If someone could get me a napkin or a paper towel with my finely tuned, skilled, and coordination, I spilled my water here. And I'm going to get all, I don't want to get all my notes wet. But 1 Peter chapter 2, we've been studying this passage for a couple weeks now. And um, we've been looking at this picture of the church that Peter gives us in chapter 2. And he starts the chapter and talks about the desire we should have for the Word of God and for for the Lord himself. And then the foundation that we have in Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of the church and our lives. And then this picture that he uses of the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple of uh, building the church. Thank you. And he says, Christ is the foundation of that church, and then we are the living stones that, that are added to it to build up the structure of the church. But not only are we the structure of that spiritual temple called the church, we are also the priesthood. And he brings that out in verse 5, and that's where we're going to be today. And today we're just going to read verse 5. Uh, I know it says 5 through 10, but we're not going to get that far, so we'll just focus on verse 5. Uh, this morning. So verse 5 in 1 Peter chapter 2, again it says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, thank you for your love for us and thank you for your word in which you'd given us all the truth that we need to know to find you, to know you, and to live the life that you've called us to in holiness. And so, Father, as we study these things today, I pray that you would teach us from your word what is important. May your spirit guide us to understand, to be able to put into practice those things that we're going to see today. And Lord, I need your help as just a human being. Lord, I need your spirit. Fill me with your spirit, I pray, as I preach. May your word go forth with boldness, from you, that your truth might be proclaimed and we might be challenged. And so, Lord, we just give ourselves to you during this time, and we thank you for what you're going to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember, last week we started talking about this priesthood that we are all part of, and I mentioned that it's interesting there are a lot of believers, believing Christians, who kind of are averse or have this Uh, repulsion almost for the Old Testament. And when you find out, especially here in 1 Peter chapter 2, that the church is really based on many Old Testament principles that God has given us back in the Old Testament and even in the law, they're surprised. But that's what we have. We have a picture that Peter's using helping us to understand what the church is based on what we understand the Old Testament tabernacle and temple to be. And the people he's writing to would have a better understanding of that because we're looking backwards, trying to figure out, okay, what was it, and so what should we be? They were actually coming out of that worship or from that worship in Judaism into the church, but there was a lot of things that were very similar. And so Peter uses this analogy of being, um, number one, lively stones to build up that spiritual building, but also the priesthood. And he compares us to the priesthood. And last week, we looked at the character of the priest that God had set out for them 
that if they were to serve acceptably, this is what the character had to be. And right at the top of that list was holiness. Remember the turban that they wore with a gold nameplate stamped holiness unto the Lord or holy unto the Lord. And so holiness was the hallmark of their character or it should have been the hallmark of their character. And so as we get into uh, the rest of verse 5, it says not only that we are a holy priesthood, but this morning we're going to look at the functions of the priest. Uh, or what we should be functioning in um, as the priests of God in the New Testament. And so verse 5, he says, you are a holy priesthood, about halfway through, and our purpose then is to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So we're going to spend our time today talking about the functions of this holy priesthood that we're a part of. What are these sacrifices? Now, we have to understand in the Old Testament, the priests did not all do specifically the same thing. Each of them had different jobs that were assigned to them. Now, overall, they were responsible for worship in the temple and for taking care of things that were in the temple. Um, But let me give you a list from, from the law. They were to, number one, teach the people. They were to serve as judges to resolve controversy. So they were kind of the government that God had put in place. They were to offer sacrifices. They were to assess impurity in people. If a leper was healed, they had to assess whether that leper was cleansed or not. They also assessed spiritual impurity. Uh, They were to burn incense. They were to keep the tabernacle and the implements in the tabernacle. They were to take care of the altar, the lamps, the showbread, etc., And they were to prepare each of these holy things for each day's, not just service, but also for the journey. Remember, they were taking care of it while they were walking through the wilderness. So they had to pack them all up, prepare them to to transport them as well. They also were responsible for continuing the sacred fire. In other words, that fire that was to go on the altar of God could not be restarted every time. They were actually to bundle up the fire off of the altar and carry it still as embers and then use that same fire in offering future sacrifices. So that was their responsibility. And they were to blow the trumpets when it was time for both worship and for battle. Okay, So there's a wide variety of things that they were engaged in as far as their service before the Lord. And the same is true for us as spiritual priests in the church. Okay, in Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in Ephesians chapter 4, we have a non-exhaustive list, but it's a long list of spiritual gifts that God has blessed each one of us with. And each one of us is empowered by God with those gifts for our specific ministry within the church. That is what those gifts are about. We don't all have the same gifts. And therefore, we don't all have the same specific ministry functions. Not all of you are gifted with pastoring and teaching, okay? I am. That's one reason why I'm up here, because this is a way for me to exercise my spiritual gift in edifying believers. Some of us are teachers and administrators. Some of us have the gift of mercy. Others of us have the gift of wisdom. Some have the gift of service. Some have the gift of faith. Some have the gift of giving. 
So others have the gift of discernment. And it goes on and on and on. There's 19 or 20 that are listed, and that's not um, exhaustive, as I said. So those different gifts are given to different believers so that all together, as we do our individual ministry, we fulfill the ministry as a whole of the church in edifying one another. Okay, It would do us no good if all we had was somebody gifted in teaching, and I stood up here and teached, and nobody else did anything. And we were missing all those other gifts. Okay, Think about the gift of service, for example. If we didn't have anybody with that gift, we wouldn't have a lunch to go to after we're done today. Okay, The gift of hospitality, the gift of mercy. You think about all these different gifts and how they play into not just our fellowship, but the building up of believers in the church. And all of us are gifted differently. So God has created his own sense of diversity within the church through spiritual gifts, not through race, not through gender fluidity, not through things that the world wants to call diversity, but a true diverse uh, diversity within the gifts that God has given us. And therefore, there's a diversity of ministry that we all should be engaged in. Okay? And that's what we're called to. Each of us has been given different jobs or different ministries based on our gifts. Just like the, the priests in the Old Testament had different jobs that were assigned to individual priests. So even though we're all different in our, in our gifts, we're all one priesthood. And all of those gifts combine to fulfill God's function and God's purpose for us as believers. So our spiritual service or our service to God using those gifts is called spiritual sacrifices. That's just part of it. It's that ministry. And Peter says here in verse 5 that we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices, but then he qualifies that and he says, which are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So not just any service and any ministry, and for that matter, any worship is acceptable. There are specific types or manners of service and ministry. I'm not talking the specific ministries. I'm saying how they are offered and how they are used. That's acceptable or not acceptable to God. And so we have to look at this phrase, acceptable to God. What is acceptable to God? The sacrifices that the priest gave had to meet God's requirement. The service that the priest gave had to meet God's requirement. And the sacrifices that Peter is referring to here are not the physical sacrifices of offering animals. We don't do that anymore. Okay, It can include the physical worship, but it really starts with our heart. And we saw that last week. The character of holiness begins with our heart. Is our heart in tune with God? Is it in tune with what he wants for us? And so the sacrifices that Peter is referring to here are the sacrifices that emanate from a heart devoted to serving God, a heart that knows what it means to be cleansed from sin. Because if that's where the service and the ministry starts with a right heart before the Lord, then the activity will be acceptable before the Lord. And there's the hard thing to differentiate between acceptable and unacceptable because we don't get to make that choice. We don't stand and go, oh, that was acceptable service. Oh, that was unacceptable. That's God's priority. He's the judge of that. 
But we know our hearts, and God knows our hearts. And so we don't stand around judging each other and say, oh, that wasn't authentic service. Because authentic service and inauthentic service or acceptable sacrifices and unacceptable sacrifices may look very similar to us. To God, he can tell the difference. And so we can't bring just any old sacrifices. The sacrifices that we offer to God have to be acceptable to him. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, God described the kind of sacrifices that were acceptable to him in the law. And I'm not going to take the time to go verse by verse and all of the different uh, specifications that he gave, but basically he gave several principles. First of all, it's first fruits, okay? The firstborn lamb, the first fruits of your crops, your first fruits, the tithe that Israel gave was first fruits. It wasn't what was left over. And so God says the sacrifices should be the first fruits, the best, the first of what you have, not what's left over. Second of all, they should be spotless and perfect, holy to the Lord. Remember? Spotless and perfect, not sick and weak. And he describes the lambs and the animals that they had to bring, if they had any kind of blemish, if they had any kind of sickness, if they were undersized, if there was a spot on their face, they could not be sacrificed in the temple. And remember last week we also saw the priests themselves could not have any physical blemish in order to serve as priests. If they were missing a finger, if they had a spot on their face, you know, a broken leg, that disqualified them. And so God says, your sacrifices must be spotless and perfect. And then third, those sacrifices were consecrated specifically to God and not used for anything else at all. You could not uh, bring an animal and sacrifice it to the Lord and say, well, I'm going to sacrifice half of it, but I want to keep half for myself and eat the rest. It didn't work that way. When you sacrifice something, it was all given. And you gave that to the Lord. Now, there were instances when God told them, you bring this sacrifice, you're going to lay it on the altar, and these parts you're going to burn, but then you take the rest off, and that you're going to eat together with the congregation so that you can praise the Lord and thank him as you're eating. Okay? And honestly, that's kind of what we're doing this afternoon as we celebrate lunch to, or have lunch together, right? It's what God has done in all of us. It's a time of fellowship. So even eating together can be a, an acceptable sacrifice to God. But God says it has to be perfect. It has to be first fruits. It has to be clean. It has to be consecrated to the Lord. Those are the characteristics of the sacrifices. Let me give you some examples of unacceptable sacrifices. And these people went through the motions of worship and probably had sincere intent in their heart to worship, but their sacrifices were not acceptable to God. We know right away Cain's sacrifice, even before God's law was given, Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices before the Lord, and it doesn't tell us in Scripture what his specific sacrifice was. It says Cain was a farmer, and so we may assume that it was vegetables or fruit or produce of some kind. We don't know. Uh, Abel brought a lamb. But I suspect that it was more about the heart than about the physical sacrifice, and Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God. And God said to him, Why are you angry? You have just as, right, just as much opportunity to bring an acceptable sacrifice as your brother Abel did. And remember, Cain got so angry, he ended up killing his brother. 
And then because of that, he was cursed for the rest of his life by God. But his sacrifice was not acceptable to the Lord. A second uh, example, Nadab and Abihu, these are Aaron's sons. Remember, God set up the priesthood in Old Testament Israel. And literally a chapter, one chapter after God gets done describing the sacrifices, describing the priests, describing everything they do, Nadab and Abihu are named here as they bring incense into the temple of God. And the Bible says that they brought strange fire. In other words, they didn't follow the recipe for incense that God had ordained to be brought to the temple. They made up their own or they brought it a different way. But it says as soon as they stepped foot within that building, the fire of God came out of the altar and consumed them on the spot. A pretty clear indicator that what they were offering before God was not acceptable to him. And then, of course, when Israel came out of Egypt, one of their first opportunities to worship was at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they decided they were going to worship with the golden calf. Now, I want you to understand, they were not worshiping the gods of Egypt. They were worshiping the God that brought them out of Egypt, the true God. But they implemented worldly techniques and methods in that worship by building the calf. And in fact, if you go to Exodus chapter 32 and read that passage, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It says, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. Now, Joshua didn't recognize whatever worship they were engaged in because to him it didn't sound like worship. So right away we get a sense something's wrong. Moses said, It's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. So as they get closer, Moses realizes, No, it's singing. Not worshipful singing, just singing. In verse 19, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, he saw two things, and both things were warning flags. He saw the calf, wrong methodology, wrong item to worship, and the dancing. Again, Something's not right. And, when, and it says specifically the calf and the dancing, two things that were out of place in the worship of a holy God, that caused Moses to get angry. It says Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of, hand, out of his hand and break them beneath them out. So not only was the idol wrong, but their whole sense of how they worshiped was dishonoring God because they were engaged in the culture's worship, not in what God had told them to do. Okay, so not all sacrifices are acceptable to God. We can't just say, well, God knows me. God will accept whatever I bring to him. Absolutely wrong. And that's why Peter says it has to be acceptable sacrifices, and it starts with our heart, and it starts with our intent. Am I going to do this? Am I going to bring to God just what I think is best, or am I going to follow God's word and God's will and bring to him the offerings and the sacrifices and the worship that he desires? That's acceptable. It's not just what I want. And so we have to start with that premise that not all sacrifices of worship and praise and even service to God are acceptable in his sight because it starts with our heart. Now, what are these sacrifices? Very quickly, let me go through a list of scriptures that give us a list of sacrifices that are acceptable to God. 
depending on how we offer them. But the first one, we start in Psalm 51, and I want to read that psalm just so you get a sense of what we're talking about. This psalm was written by David a year after his sin with Bathsheba, but he's just pouring out his repentance to the Lord. In Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Did he come to God and say, God, I deserve to be with you. I can't wait to be with you. And, you know, make it, make it good and give me a blessing. No, he realized that he was a sinner. And I'm sure he prayed this prayer multiple times in that year before he wrote it down and recorded it. But he starts by saying, have mercy upon me, O God, because he realized he has nothing to offer God that's good. He goes on, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, blot out my transgressions, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, the hidden parts, in the hidden parts you shall make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. That's an interesting phrase. That's a sermon all of, in, of, of itself. Okay, the, the bones that God has broken, that they may rejoice. Hide my sins, blot out mine iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free, free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not physical sacrifice, he says, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, as I read through that passage, over and over and over you hear his sentiment of his heart. I have sinned. I'm guilty before you. My sin is ever before me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Purge me. He recognizes that everything he does is wrong, is sinful, because that's who he is. And by the time you get down toward the end of the passage, he says, the only thing that's acceptable in God's eyes is not the physical sacrifices that I can bring, What's acceptable to God is a broken and contrite spirit of repentance. And so all of our spiritual sacrifices to God, if they're to be acceptable, they begin with a broken and contrite spirit. Now, what I read is not something I believe that David just wrote once and went, okay, I'm done, I've repented, I'm finished, now, now we can enjoy life again. Again, this was written a year after he sinned again with Bathsheba. And he said, my sin is ever before me. In other words, he realized 
not just that sin, but every sin that he committed is continually right there. Now you say, well, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Yes, he does, but there are scars and there are marks that are left in our life because of those wrong choices we make. And God wants us to look at those scars and those reminders and be reminded of the sin and what it does, not just in our physical lives, but in our spiritual lives in separating us from God's fellowship. And David says, I realize all that. And so my continual attitude is one of brokenness and repentance. And that's where we have to start in worship. That's the only way anything we do will be acceptable to God, is when we realize that there's nothing we can offer him that's good enough, that we are, we are broken people and we need to be broken in our spirit. And when God, in a sense, steps on us to get our attention or to punish us or, or chastise us for our sin, it's for our good. So the first sacrifice that we offer to God is brokenness. It's a brokenness of heart, a brokenness of spirit. Remember, Jesus said in the attitude, or in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn. That is not a one-time thing. It's not, oh, well, I was poor in spirit at one point, so now I know I'm saved. No, the saved are characterized by being poor in spirit, recognizing that we're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. And until we're broken, and that brokenness brings us to an attitude of continual repentance before God, realizing we can't do it ourselves, and we have nothing good to offer him, nothing else we offer will matter. So God will not accept sacrifices of worship or service that come out of anything else other than a broken and humble spirit. If we serve him and honor him, or try to honor him and praise him in pride or in selfishness or any other motivation, those are not acceptable. So that's the first thing, the first sacrifice, a broken spirit. Secondly, in Romans chapter 12, we read this this morning. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. We've already talked about the spirit. Now Paul gets physical, the body. This is the physical body. And he says you are to offer your physical body as a living sacrifice. In other words, you don't go crawl on the altar and kill yourself, and so you now you can't do anything. Okay? He says a living sacrifice. Now, remember, Paul, Peter already defined our body as a holy temple in chapter 2. We are living stones, part of the temple, but each of us are temples. And so it's already set apart for the worship of God and for the service of God, our body specifically. And Paul says in Romans 12 that an acceptable sacrifice then is to offer our bodies. Now, if we offer our body, what does that leave out of what we do? Well, everything we do is with our body, right? We cook, we clean, we drive, we come to church, we read, we, I mean, you name it, go to work, go to school. Everything we do, we do with our body. And so what Paul is saying here is, your entire life should be a sacrifice to God, no matter what you do. That's why he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, because 
Number one, you're a temple. Number two, if you're offering your body as a sacrifice to the Lord, you're still alive. That means everything you do from the point of salvation on should be service to God and pleasing to God. So the sacrifice of ourselves, and it's not about, Lord, here's my list and my agenda and my bucket list that I'm giving to you, so make it happen now. I'm giving myself to you. Make it happen. It is, okay, Lord, I'm giving up my bucket list. I'm giving up my personal goals. I'm giving up everything that I want for myself. Here I am. Use me. Whatever you want, whatever the circumstances, whatever the consequences, here I am. God wants all of us, not just all of us, plural, but all of us, singular, all of me, all of you. Jesus, remember when he was describing how we are to love God? What did he say? We are to love God with all of our soul, heart, mind, and strength. I don't think that leaves anything out. And if our love to God is demonstrated in how we serve him, that's all of us. So the second acceptable sacrifice is our bodies. A third sacrifice is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So here we have praise, worship, and thanksgiving. And it says continually, even on Monday morning. When you have to get up and go back to work, or you have to go start doing those things that you don't enjoy doing, continually giving the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, in everything give thanks, right? Not in everything complain, although that's the way we approach life sometimes. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So there's praise that we offer to God. There's thanksgiving. In fact, Psalm 107, verse 22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Thanksgiving is a sacrifice. You say, well, how is praise and thanksgiving a sacrifice? When we praise somebody else, we are magnifying or exalting them. And to exalt means to lift up. And if we lift up, the name of God, where are we? Below. We're sacrificing our own ego, our own self-esteem, our own selfish wants, everything about us. Remember, we've already offered our body. All of that comes with it. And so in offering that sacrifice of praise, we're sacrificing ourselves and giving to God the praise and thanksgiving that he deserves. In Psalm 96, verse 9, it says, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. What is holiness? That which God desires. Perfectness, cleanness. Not marred by humanistic thinking, humanistic intent, selfishness, pride. All of that's gone, right? It's all for the Lord. And so if we're to worship the Lord, then even our thanksgiving and praise should be done in an attitude of holiness before the Lord. And again, I used this illustration last week, but 
on your way to church? How many people cut you off? Or how many trucks did you get behind that were too slow? And under your breath, you're cursing them out and complaining. And oh, man, I can't do this. And then we come to God and we want to give him praise and glory. Holiness. So the third acceptable sacrifice to God is our praise, our thanksgiving, our worship. Number four, a fourth spiritual sacrifice is in the next verse in Hebrews chapter 13. I read verse 15, that sacrifice of praise to God continually. The next verse says this, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The author of Hebrews first addresses our sacrifices to the Lord in our worship of him. And then immediately he says, and then there's the physical sacrifices that you make in sharing with others and doing good to them. So that's number four, doing good and sharing. The word communicate in that verse means to share. And remember, doing good is not what we think is good, not what we think is best. It's what God has told us to do. It's what pleases God. It's what gives him glory. And if what we share with others are sacrifices to God, and God defined how our sacrifices should be characterized by our best, our first, not used for anything else, then all of a sudden it puts a new impetus on what we are supposed to be sharing with others. The leftovers, the castaways. If it's not good enough for God, then it shouldn't be good enough for others, if that's our spiritual service to God. If we're giving to somebody something we don't really care about and don't want, that's not a sacrifice and that's not service. That's dumping stuff off at somebody else's house. Okay, you might as well take it to Goodwill. But if you give to people, and he says sharing with others and doing good to people, then the things we do for other people, the things we share with other people, should be what we would give to God. The top quality, the best, the first. Because otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in, in uh, tongue, but in deed and in truth. If we have what we need to give to somebody else because they need it, it doesn't matter what we need anymore. God doesn't give us things just to meet our needs. God gives us things so that we can be channels to meet others' needs first. You know, you know the, the little acronym, joy, Jesus, others, you, last, okay? Do we really put others before ourselves, or do we give them the leftovers? Now, think about that. And I want you to remember, in Matthew chapter 25, we don't have the opportunity to just ignore people's needs, because Jesus said in his description of those people who are part of his kingdom, they were the ones who gave the drink of water to those who were thirsty. They gave food to those who were hungry. They visited those in prison and who were sick, etc. And he describes these acts of service. And the people say, wait, wait, we didn't do that to you. And he said, no, but in doing it to others, you've done it to me. And then he cur curses and condemns those that didn't do that. And he says the same thing. You saw me hungry, you didn't feed me. You saw me thirsty, you gave me no drink. 
And he goes down the list. The people that are cursed and condemned say, wait, we never saw you in those situations. And he says, well, not me specifically, but because you didn't do it to others, you didn't do it to me. And his point, again, like I mentioned last week, is not we treat them poorly. The point Jesus was making is that those people who are not part of his kingdom are people who ignore the needs of others. Not my concern. Let him take care of himself. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men especially those that be of the household of faith. So the fourth sacrifice is just sharing and taking care of each other the way that Christ would have. Number five, a fifth spiritual sacrifice we can offer to God is our love for one another. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, And walk in love as Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for his sweet-smelling savor. How much did Jesus give up in order that we might have what we need? Everything. He set aside his divinity or his divine prerogatives. He was still God, but he set that aside as he came to be man. He set aside his, in a sense, his eternal life to die temporarily, thankfully. And he died in our place. And what did Jesus say the greatest mark of a true friend is? No greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And I think that goes wrong with number four, not just sharing with each other, but do we care enough to give up our lives for each other? And I'm not just saying, would you take a bullet for somebody else? What I'm saying is, are the priorities of your life so important that you don't have time for other people? Are you willing to give up your life to show love to other people? God did. Why shouldn't we? So are we willing to lay aside our own desires, our own needs, even our own stuff, to show God's love to other people who need to see it? An acceptable spiritual sacrifice, Paul says in Ephesians 2. Number six, the sixth spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God is our prayers. Let me just read you some scriptures here. Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David equates his prayers literally with the sacrifices before God. Now, the incense that was offered in the, in the temple was a picture of the prayers of saints rising up to God. And our prayers become, literally as incense is, a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. And so our prayers are not just to ask God for stuff. Our prayers are an, 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 a channel, an avenue through which we worship God. It's a sacrifice. Do your prayers really mean that much to God? Absolutely. Proverbs 15.8, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. In Revelation chapter 8, we're given a peek into the throne room of God in heaven. 
There's a picture there of the angels burning incense on a golden altar in the throne room of God in heaven. In verses 3 and 4, it says, Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. There was given to him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So to fail to pray in the right attitude, of course, But to fail to pray as we should not only robs you of spiritual blessings, but it also constitutes a failure in your required priestly functions before the Lord. Think about that. To not pray means we basically don't care about giving God the sacrifices that he desires. And so our prayers are an acceptable sacrifice before the Lord if, they're, if they come out of a contrary heart, if they're praying according to the Lord's will. Number seven, finally, the seventh spiritual sacrifice we can offer to God is the souls with whom we share the gospel. In Romans chapter 15, verses 15 and 16, Paul says this, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace of God that is given to me, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Literally, what Paul is saying is, those people that I have brought the gospel to, I am offering to God as spiritual service. And he uses the word acceptable. The offering up of the Gentiles to God might be acceptable. Now that's what God called him to do. His ministry was preaching to the Gentiles. But the the argument then comes and people will say, well, not all of us are apostles. Not all of us are missionaries. No, we're not all supposed to be doing what Paul did. I agree. We're not all supposed to go all over Europe trying to found churches and preach the gospel to people who'd never heard it before. But we all are given the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. He wasn't just talking to his 12 disciples when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the big picture is that the whole world needs to hear the gospel. But when he told them how to do it, he said, I want you to start in your Jerusalem. And from there, go to your Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. But start in your Jerusalem. That's where you live. That's where the disciples lived. And so Paul is saying here in Romans 15, the offering of those people that I've shared the gospel with is my sacrifice to God. And it's acceptable. Whether they get saved or not, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to sow the seed, to share the word, and let God do the work in people's hearts. How many people have we really offered to God as spiritual sacrifices by sharing the gospel with them? As holy priests before God, we're all called to serve him with our entire lives. I mean, we've seen different aspects of that today. 
all of these things that the Bible defines as spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. He's defined these things. We've looked briefly at them. And all of them together make up the service that we offer to God as that sacrifice as a whole, if you want to call it that. Our service as a whole. In fact, at the end of Romans chapter 12, that's what Paul means when he says, this is acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or reasonable worship. Now, you don't worship God only when you come into this building. As believers, we should be worshiping God all the time. We worship him and serve him at the same time. In fact, in Greek, it's the same word, service and worship. Now, we've got examples that I just shared with us about what we should be doing in serving the Lord in our everyday lives. Forget about what we do in church for a minute. Just look at your everyday life. Continually, we should be offering those sacrifices up. And so God's told us what he desires. God's told us what it should look like, the character that should define it. And we have no excuse, then, if we fail in our functioning as part of that holy priesthood to which all of us who are part of the church have been called. You may say, well, I don't have time for all that. I get so busy. Life just demands so much of me. Well, let me just say this. If you have so much going on in your life, that you don't have time to do what God wants us to do with our lives, then you've added too many things to your life that God does not approve of. Because here's why we are here. This is why we exist. Everything else is secondary. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that other stuff will be added unto you. All the stuff that we spend all our time chasing, Trying to earn money, trying to get a car, trying to get food, trying to get all clothing. All of our time and effort and money is spent on those things that Jesus says, those are secondary. You want to know what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God? Here it is. I just gave you seven ways. Spiritual sacrifices as our reasonable service. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you challenge us with your word. You've defined all the things that you want us to do. And yet, many times, we're either too lazy or too apathetic to really bother to look for it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just convict us today. Help us to begin this uh, journey of service and worship with a contrite heart, with repentance, knowing that we failed you in our lives, even in this aspect of worship and service. So, Lord, I pray not that you would help us to do better, but that you would help us to see we can't do any of it without you. Help us to surrender ourselves to you fully, completely, everything about us and everything that we have, so that you might be pleased with our sacrifices of worship, that you might find acceptable everything that we have to offer to you. And it's all because of what Jesus did for us. And it's for him and his glory that we do it. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
Hymn number 300.